there's a reason. We might know, not completely understand it now, but there is a reason that God has us really looking at what prayer really is and the purpose of it as we did last week. And this week we're going to look at the power of prayer. And to look at the power of prayer, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 12 and look at Peter. Acts chapter 12. We're going to read the whole chapter. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be, per- be executed. Then Herod went to Judea, to Caesarea, and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because the, they, depend, they deepened They depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Father, we thank you for this 
story of Peter and what you did and how you brought the church together to pray and the power that was seen through the life of Peter. God, help us to apply that to our lives and to our church, that we would understand more of what the power of prayer can do and how we need to be part of that. Lord, just open our hearts to hear from you today. It's not my words, but it's your words that want to be spoken forth. And Lord, help me just to be your messenger. In your name we pray. Amen. Prayer is a wonderful privilege that we have. God has opened the door to his throne room and invited his children, each of us, to enter his presence with our petitions. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God has promised to hear us when we call. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And God has promised to answer our prayers when we pray according to his will. In 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, what we ask We know that we have what we asked of him. We all know that there are many privileges and promises associated with prayer. So let's look at our passage and see how prayer is also a very powerful endeavor. We've all experienced the power of private prayer. We've experienced those times when we call on the Lord and he heard us and he answered us in his way and in his time. But there's something special about entering God's presence by yourself to talk to him in secret. It's something we all do or should do if we're not doing. And this should be done often, not just once in a while. Our passage today also reminds us that there is power in corporate prayer. There is a special dynamic that comes into play when God's children come together, united in faith and in purpose to seek God's face in prayer. I want to share a few truths that present themselves through this passage together as we talk about the power of prayer. The first thing we notice is it was a time of problems in this passage. There were attacks. James, the brother of John, who was in the Lord's inner circle, was put to death by Herod. Peter had also been put in prison and was sitting and waiting, really, his death. The Jews pressed these attacks against the early church because they hated the gospel that that was being preached. So there were attacks. There was apprehension. The church did not know what the future held. As a result, there was fear and concern for the future of the church. After all, these people had left their Jewish roots not to follow the way of Jesus. Perhaps they were afraid that the hatred of the Jews and the king might eventually turn away from the leaders of the church and settle among the members. There was an adversary. We're told that Herod is the one who killed James and arrested Peter. We're also told that his actions pleased the Jews. So Herod and the Jews were responsible for the persecution, but they were simply the human instruments. The one who organized and empowered the persecution was Satan himself. He hated the church. He hated the gospel that was preached and the Lord that he was being worshipped. 
The enemy was out to destroy the church while it was still in its early life. In order to do that, he stirred up forces and set them against each other and had the adversary. The church still finds itself in times of trouble today. The church still finds itself under attack from the enemy. We must never think that we are immune from the assaults within or without. As long as the enemy, Satan, is allowed to live in the world, he will do everything in his power to disturb and disrupt the harmony and effectiveness of a church. Satan hates our message. He hates our master. He knows that if, we can, if he can turn us against one another, he can shut down God's work. He knows that if he can fill us with fear over attacks we face, he can stop us from serving God. Satan knows if he can fill us with fear over the future that he can find us merely just focusing on the past. Only someone who is willingly ignorant could look at the modern church without seeing that there's problems that we face. We operate in a world that is hostile to the message of Christ. Society has no use for the message that we preach. We, can, we are not immune from the troubles that are around. There are troubles, there are attacks, and there are problems. We need God's help as much as any other church in the world today. If there was ever a day when the church needed to learn to lean on the power of God, it is today and the day that we live in. It was also a time of prayer. The situation looks desperate, but... It looks as though Peter might be put to death, but it looks as though the church might be destroyed before it can carry out the gospel to the world. But in the face of overwhelming problems, the church still bowed its head as one person and called on God. The church did not cower in fear before those who had threatened them. The church lifted its collective voice and rang the prayer bells of heaven. God heard their prayers and moved in mighty power to bring them God's answers. It was fervent prayer that they had. We are told that prayer was made without ceasing. They did not stop praying. It was an idea of going beyond the boundaries. When we apply it to prayer, it is a picture of fervency. It's the picture of people pouring out their hearts before the Lord as they seek his face for their needs. That's the kind of praying that we need to undertake. The promise of God is found in James 5:16. The prayer of the righteous people is powerful and effective. The words powerful and effective and fervent refer to energetic, passionate prayer. It is not prayer that is sluggish or lifeless or unconcerned or casual, or half-hearted. It is prayer that pours forth from a burdened heart. That kind of prayer reaches heaven and moves the hand of God. Fervent prayer. It was faithful prayer. By faithful praying, I mean prayers of faith. Their prayers were made to God. This may seem obvious, but there are times when it seems like our prayers are designed to be heard by other people or even by us. This congregation joined their voices and reached up as one to touch God for their church and for Peter. When we pray, we must pray in faith. Faith is the essential ingredient 
that marks the difference between answered and unanswered prayer. The Bible makes these statements about the role of faith in prayer. Hebrews eleven sixteen, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Matthew 21, 22 says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. First John five, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked for him. I remind you that when we pray, we are talking to our father. He delights in hearing and answering the prayers of his children. Luke 12, 32 tells us, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It was also focused prayer. Prayer was made for him. In other words, Peter was the focus of this prayer meeting. They came together to pray for a specific purpose. This was not generalized praying that sought to cast a big blanket of prayer over everything and everyone. This was pointed prayer that sought God's power for a specific need. If we do not pray specific prayers, how will we ever know when God really answers? When we ask him for specific needs and God answers, it glorifies God. It assures us of our relationship to him and it increases our faith. All I'm suggesting is that we need to get specific in our praying. It was family prayer. The church gathered together to pray for one another and to pray for their own. They came together as a family to seek God's help for a brother in great need. The church touched heaven for Peter. Their prayers had power because they were united in their walk with God. They joined their hearts and their hands. Then they lifted their voices to God and he heard them and he moved in power. We pray a lot, but I fear that we fail to pray for one another. We pray for our own needs and our own burdens, but how much time do we really spend praying for others? Right now, there are people in our church family who are facing life-threatening illnesses. We should be touching heaven for them. There are others who are wayward. We should be touching heaven for them. There are others who are struggling with needs and burdens and problems. We should be touching heaven for them. If you will take just a minute to think, the names and faces of our brothers and sisters in Christ will come to mind. They need you to touch heaven for them. Our differences can hinder our prayers. We want to see people saved. We want to see the Lord bless the church. We want to see the power of God on, on us once more. We pray and we pray and we pray. We do not see the power of God manifested in our midst. And it's because we have allowed petty little differences to divide us. I want to go on record and say that if I have offended anyone, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. I want to be joined, my voice with yours, that we can touch heaven together for God's glory. It was a time of power. 
There was a powerful salvation. When the church prayed, God heard them and answered their prayers. Peter was delivered from prison through a tremendous, miraculous intervention. God saved Peter because the church asked him to. I wonder what we might see do what, what we might see God do if we learned how to pray truly as a family. I wonder who we might see saved. I wonder what he might do among us. I wonder how he might bless his church. I believe that our God is still the God of miracles. He is able to do so much more than we have ever seen him do. In fact, the limits of his power have never been witnessed. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Let us seek God today and ask God to bring things that would honor him and glorify his name. There were also powerful surprises. When Peter was released from prison, he went to the house where the church was meeting in prayer. He knocked on the gate, knocked on the door, and Rhoda came out to see who was there. He heard, she heard Peter's voice and went and told the church that Peter was outside. They didn't believe her, but assumed that it, he must be dead and that it was his guardian angel at the gate. The Jews believed that every person had a guardian angel that could assume the person's form. Poor Peter standing there. God could get Peter out of prison, but Peter couldn't even get himself into the prayer meeting. Yet when they investigated, they discovered that it truly was Peter himself, and they were astonished. Why were they amazed? After all, they had been praying for this very thing, hadn't they? They were surprised because they are just like us. Often our best praying is done in an atmosphere of unbelief. On our best day, we are marked by a lack of faith. Praise God that our faith does not have to be perfect. It just has to be exercised. We are a lot like the father who brought his son to Jesus to cast the demons out. He believed the Lord could do it, but he still doubted and had fear. In Matthew 17, 20, he replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Do we have faith of a mustard seed? As long as we live in this world and speak to God in prayer, we will often be astonished by his answers. There was also powerful sovereignty, knowing God is in control. This passage closes with God giving his church even more evidence that his sovereignty over everything the church faced. God proved his sovereignty over their opposition Herod the king, who had dared persecute the people, died a horrible death at the hands of God. He refused to glorify God, and God killed him in a public fashion. This was a lesson to the church to leave their enemies in the hands of God. It's a lesson designed to teach them that God was greater than anyone or anything they would ever face. The same is true for us today. Our duty is to serve the Lord faithfully and to leave the opposition to God. If we could ever adopt the mindset of David, it would help us a great deal. In 1 Samuel, David faced 
the giant Goliath, he said, the battle is the Lord's. It always has been, and it still is. God proved sovereign over their outreach. As God blessed the church and judged its enemies, God taught a watching world that God was in control of every situation. The early church learned the lesson that they were not responsible for the success of their ministry. They were merely responsible for being focused and faithful. This is a lesson that we also need to learn today. Success cannot be measured in the numbers that we we report. If that was the criteria of success, John the Baptist and Jeremiah would have been failures. The truth is success of our church does not rest on my shoulders or on your shoulders individually. The success of this or any other ministry is all up to God. Our duty is to be found faithful to him and to call on him and to answer his call on our lives. As we yield to him and look to him in faith and by prayer make our petitions to him, we can count on God to do what is best to do what is right and what brings him the glory. Church, we need to be able to get a hold of the Lord. We need that as individuals and we need that as a church. The only way that will ever happen is for us to come together like the early church as a family and seek God as our priority. We need to examine our hearts and be sure there is nothing in us against another brother or sister. In Christ, we need to seek God as a family. We need to call on God by faith, believing Him for all things. We need to look beyond our own needs and lift up those around us who are also in need. We need to pray through our problems until we see God move in power. That's the power of prayer. Something happens when God's people pray. From the littlest kids to the oldest people, something happens when God's people pray. This is a picture of kids praying around a flagpole in another state. It's not local here um, at Sea at the Pole this year. Something happens when God's people pray. Are we praying? Pray. When you pray, You should pour out your heart. Pour out your heart to God. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him your needs. Pray for other people's needs. It's not just about us. It's about others. We need to realize that God will answer. We need to always believe. And we need to yield to what God tells us. That's how we need to pray. Pour out our hearts. Realize God will answer. Always believe and yield to what God tells you. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Can we put it into practice? I challenge you. Up here I have some prayer journals that God laid on my heart to get. And I think sometimes we tend to take prayer for granted. And we sometimes also don't see the answers because we're not praying specific. And I challenge you, if anyone wants to take a journal to write down your prayers, 
Write down your requests and watch what God wants to do in your life, in the life of others, in the life of this church. What is God wanting us to do? What is God asking us to yield to? So if you want to, feel free to come and take one of those when, when we're dismissed. But trust God in the midst of all of it. Something happens when God's people pray. So let's pray together and let's see what happens.